Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the Ify Market Podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. Uh, today, I have yeah, that's not the first time I've uh, I've stumbled in this intro. My voice cracked when I first tried to uh, yell out "Good morning" here. But uh, today, we're going to be talking with Brooke Sellis of B Squared Media about uh, customer service and content. Which, when I say it like that, it sounds kind of boring, but this topic has me really excited. Like I had to take a couple control yourself breaths before we, uh, before we started here. Cause we were talking about it a little bit and uh, I just love this concept, this technique that Brooke's going to be uh, introducing to you guys. It's something very new. Most of you have probably never heard of it. And uh, I think it's awesome for marketing for companies in general. I just think it's, it's all around fantastic. So when I say customer service and content, Prepare to have your mind blown. Um, so Brooke Sellis. Brooke is she's the CEO and founder of B Squared Media. Uh, she has a marketing mantra uh, that is uh, think conversation, not campaign. I love that. And uh, she even wrote a book about it, Conversations That Connect. Brooke, I think I've read that book. I don't know. I'm a terrible person for for giving testimonials and stuff because I don't. But I swear I hear that title and I, I'm pretty sure I read that. I hope I absorbed some of it, but I have just a a terrible memory. Uh, she also teaches digital marketing at the uh, University of California, Irvine. Brooke, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. I'm so happy to nerd out with you today. <laughs> yeah, this time, I mean, people get, I don't know, get ready, get to pen out to take notes or, or just sit back and absorb this and you can always re-listen. But um, this whole concept's awesome. Let's jump straight into it, Brooke. Or I guess, okay, before we jump into it, B squared marketing and your name is Brooke. Is there any connection there? Does the B stand for Brooke? Oh, so when I was trying to figure out the company name, you know, I was doing it quickly because I had acquired my first client before I really even had a company. So I had to put my DBA and all of that together. And uh, my name previous to getting married was Brooke Ballard. And several of my clients in a previous life called me B squared because ah. it was Brooke Ballard. So yes, it did come from my name, but then I got married and I became Brooke Sellis and I figured BS marketing wouldn't do quite as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, the B squared's good. Um, it looks like your logo and I'm, I'm looking at, she has her logo behind her on, on a step and repeat. Uh, your logo looks like it's um, part of the periodic table of elements or something like that as, as well. The way oh, I love the it. In, in, the, in the square there. Um, anyway, okay. So B squared, uh, somebody, so you had a first client and they were like, great. Uh, who do we write the checkout to? And what's the name of your company? And you were like, ah, ah, ah. one of <laughs> yeah. those situations where you just look around and you're like, uh, dog house company. Yeah, that's it. Boom. Red placemat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I just, you know, I decided to go with a nickname because um, I didn't want my name. You know, some people make the company name their name. And I didn't want to do that because I did have hopes that I would grow beyond this one client. And yeah. I didn't want people to get too attached to me because eventually I had hoped that there would be more than just me. Oh, yeah. People expect to hire you because it's, you know, right, Brooke, right. Brooke Sellis Marketing and then they get one of your many other employees and and then all of a sudden it's not as cool yeah they're like wait who's this sky guy <laughs> like where's <Yeah>. Brooke? <laughs> i want I, I paid for the person that's name is on the billboard right okay excellent so i'm glad we got that out of the way now let's jump straight into the real stuff here this uh customer services content 
Um, I've got notes here that call it the future of customer service, the future of content. Um, can you tell the listeners uh, what this is all about? What Just give, them, give us an overview. Yeah, I love those titles, by the way. I'm like, ooh, ooh, these are good things. I need to steal those. Um, so yeah, we have always been a social media-led company, meaning all of our services revolve around social media marketing. So in the very beginning, we started out doing what we call done-for-you social media management. Our clients hand us their social pages. We create the content. You know, We manage the community, all that good stuff. And we added ads a few years later, and then as we started to grow, I started to get questions from clients about like, hey, we don't need you to help us with content. We do that in-house or we already work with another agency, but we need help with the conversations, community management that happens online. And we were like, right. okay, well, we do community management as a part of our, you know, organic social media services. And they're like, no, it's more around like customer support. Right. People so, are coming into our Facebook account and they're asking a question. Yes. And we're like, well, what the heck do we do? Right. And we don't, you know, we have a social person or, you know, one person or maybe a team of people, but they, but they're not really customer support, but they also have to be social people, right? It's like the mm -hmm. call center meshed with customer support, meshed with social media, right? There's kind of an inherent mismatch when we talk about that and in, in how corporations are built because mm. employees work Monday through Friday and nine to five and, and socials 24 seven. And your social person is probably more like a morning radio disc job than a customer support person. So. Right. Yeah. So we started to get these asks around, you know, 2016, 2017. And of course, as any good marketer does, I was listening intently to these asks and I said, okay, we need to create this. We need to meet the demand where it is. So in 2018, uh, we officially started beta testing our social media customer care program with one of our clients and they loved it. And we said, okay, we, we have a, there's a there there. There's a, there's mm -hmm. something here. Let's, let's, let's figure out how to start to get this to market. So we've been doing it since 2018. We've grown our client base for social media customer care since then as well. And now we're seeing through the pandemic and especially now after, you know, two, three years going through this, that more and more people are using social media as a support channel, right? It's really not the way we, we don't use it the way we used to as a consumers. A lot of consumers use it to research a new product or to go bash <laughs> terrible customer experience or whatever it may be. So finally, I feel like the demand is kind of caught up to what we do. And that's why I wrote the book. Excellent. Oh, so this book, the, um, and now let me scramble through all these notes to find it, uh, Conversations That Connect. That is about this technique also? Yes, it's uh, so the subtitle it's conversations that connect how to connect, converse, and convert through social media listening and social led customer care. So, and you so have one our, of those book titles that takes two pages, it's the yes, first two pages of the book. Is the title. <laughs> but I mean, I felt like these concepts were really important to get into the title because a social listening so important to being proactive and to providing proactive customer care, and b social led customer care, social first customer care, social media customer care. It's such a new concept that I wanted to make sure it was in the title so that people understood we were talking about social media as the medium or the channel to to provide this customer care. So I made fun a little bit, and people trash book titles that are like super long, but when you're talking about like informational business books, it's kind of necessary. Like if you write a romance novel, just write, call it falling or something like that. But 
because you know what you're going to get. You got the picture of the guy with the long hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like when you write a business book, you kind of need to know what it's about. Like you got to put the whole description on the front cover. So no worries there. Um, okay, so this is I definitely didn't read the book then. I'm going to have to take back what I said in the intro um, because I would have remembered this. I think those word conversations connect are very um, common in marketing, maybe. Yes. So it sounded like something I would have read. Um, now I'm going to have to, because uh, I definitely would have remembered this topic. I think the listeners are starting to get a little idea of like, oh, okay, so you're taking your customer service onto the social channels instead of, there's so many aspects when you start plugging into what that does, that this does. And that's where I started getting all giddy and, and geeking out. Um, so a quick question though, did you invent this concept as far as you know, were people doing this specifically intentionally before you came up with this service? Yeah. I mean, there are other companies out there who provide this service. I think we were really early to market, but we weren't first to market. Um, and that's, you know, a lot of people are like, Ooh, Ooh, how exciting for you. I'm like, Actually, you know, it's really difficult to be first or early because there's so much education that has to come along with what you're tr trying to prove out, right? Um, yes, we've, we've proven it for the clients who we do have, but what about the wider population of brands who still aren't even using social media 101 correctly? You know, how are we supposed to educate those brands? Well, you know, with these things and topics that we're, that we're talking about. So Brooke, I would say, um, if no one has claimed it yet, name it and claim it. Um, <laughs> you don't have to be the first one to have, who knows who invented the radio or the car or anything else, but somebody patented it first and said, I made this and it was around the time, you know, it isn't like you're stealing somebody else's jokes or something. <laughs> you did come up with this and uh, you're going to well, popularize it. And so just, just till someone else steps forward and say, no, I, I developed this first. Like, show me your notes. Come on. Look, look what I did here. Let You're me championing see. it. It's a good cause. Own it. Um, so I'm going to push out there that that Brooke invented this potentially. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Prepare to I'm get have... cease and desist from people. Yeah, I was like, I can't wait for all of those people to come knocking down my email. <laughs> and you're like, I didn't even say that. Some <laughs> random me. guy on the, on the podcast did. Come on. Um, okay, so let's dig into this concept a little bit more. Traditional customer service is kind of like put it into a web form, or if you're lucky, send an email and you have an email you can back and forth and you don't have to constantly go into their platform and go to your task and manage it that way. Yeah. Um, so it's really difficult to have a conversation. There's no person. It's, you know, some random num number of characters that's a customer service rep. You never know if it's the same person. If you call into customer service lines, you always get a different person. They always yes. claim they have no knowledge of the last conversation you had 10 minutes ago before the phone was disconnected and you were this close to getting your problem solved. Um, even though you know damn well it's typed into the CRM right in front of them because you are a customer and these notes are taken. I've had conversations with phone customer service where I'm like, are you, do you have my information in front of you and you're writing notes? Great. So was the last person. So stop claiming you don't know what I told them and what they told me. They said this, and then we got disconnected. I don't want to start all over. So that's kind of the traditional customer service. A lot of it is, um, so just kind of setting the scene here, everybody who's 
interact with customer service knows. A lot of companies outsource their customer service. The main purpose of the customer service is to delay install for a lot of companies because typically there's something wrong with your product. Somebody wants a refund. It's that kind of thing. And the outsourced customer service company's job is to have as few of those people um, get more from the company as possible. I think they probably get bonuses on how many refunds did we have to give. And then a lot of customers, it seems a technique um, for quite a while, at least if not still, was to make customer service so um, unpleasant that people just don't even want to bother. Like, yeah, I'm going to call your customer service line. Great. And be on hold and then disconnected. And then they claim they don't have, know what the last person said. And then be on hold and then disconnected and then be on hold. Like, I'm not going to call customer service. That's a joke. Um, and I think a lot of that was allowed to happen because it was all hidden. Nobody saw anybody else's customer service stuff. You know, you start getting people writing reviews and then you say, oh, okay, people are really upset. It has to build up over a while. You get review sites and then people just start saying, forget customer service. I'm just going to post a bad review about these people. Um, I'm, I'm not going to bother with their customer service. I know that's designed to get rid of me. Um, so I feel like that's kind of the history of it from my point of view, my customer service point of view for how we get to where we're at. And it's also my favorite part of this technique of customer service in that when you make it public, so many of the built-in problems that people have in customer service go away and everybody wins. Yes. You hit, like, you basically hit the whole book. Uh, episode over. Head. All right. <laughs> yeah. With what you said, we just have to flip to the other side of those things, right? So you said, you know, you listed a myriad of reasons why people don't want to reach out to the call center, call in. There's a myriad of reasons why people don't even want to email, right? Um, so this is a stat from 2020, so it's old now. I, I need to try to find maybe a new stat that's supported out there. But in 2020, it was um, found that 76% of people who use social media use it as a support channel. And I think it's exactly because of what you said, right? People are tired of icky hold music. They're tired of being told, you know, you know, something different than something they just said to some other, you know, getting passed from customer service rep to customer service rep. They're getting tired of getting disconnected. They're getting tired of the wait times. They're getting tired of perhaps, you know, not being able to connect with or understand the person who's helping them on the other side, right? There's real, really no conversation that's happening. I mean, even if you listen to those customer service reps, I was just on the phone with one this week, so I know, she was reading. You're, you're, you're a valued customer and you're very important to us, but it was like reading a script, right? And I was like, wait, 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 save that. Like, I'm not interested in your script right now. I just want to solve my problem, right? And she so, starts over. Oh, okay. Yeah. I would love to solve your problem. Yeah. You're a valued customer. And after you're like, this no. call, would you be willing to take a survey? Yeah. And I'm like, oh stop God. reading. Right. So there's no actual conversation. There's no actual empathy. And, you know, as you were just pointing out at the very end of what you said, Traditionally, customer service is very reactive. It's a one-to-one -one situation. And what we're trying to do is to move it to a one-to-many situation because just like you said on social, when you're solving someone's problem, hopefully solving someone's problem, it's not just that person that you're speaking with unless you've moved off to like private message or DMs. Um, 
everybody's seeing how the brand is responding to this problem. So it's a one to many form of marketing and it is a form of marketing and sales and customer experience, right? It encompasses all of the things. And um, you said something else about, you know, about reviews and, and Twitter just released a report and they said that people, consumers in the US specifically, now rate conversations with brands on social when they have these types of acquisition and retention type questions just as or more important than the brand reviews so these conversations are so important in so many different ways but ultimately what we're what we're trying to point out is how to have these conversations from a from a social-led customer care point of view or a social media customer care point of view so there's so many areas to dig into here. I think the listeners are getting the general idea. Um, I guess I'd ask, I'm going to throw out a couple options and you tell me which direction you want to go. Okay. Um, I like this. It's like choose your own adventure. This is fun. <laughs> I've never done this on a podcast before. This is amazing. <laughs> so we have the content aspect where you're doing this and it creates content that then fuels sales and marketing. So those trickle down from it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um then we also have the accountability path, the effect that this has on a company's operations overall. And I guess some of the other things are under, a lot of the other things are under the content umbrella because mm -hmm. you have like FAQs, testimonials, reviews, those all just naturally get created within social. So I'll just give those two paths. Which way do you want to go to start with, the content or the accountability? Let's take the content path because I think that's an easy path for everybody to understand, right? We all do content marketing, right? If we're marketers or in business and we all understand the importance of content and year after year, we see that content bu budgets are constantly increased, right? So I feel like that's, that's the path we should go down. Excellent. So what do you recommend in the content area if somebody says, okay, this, this idea sounds interesting. Um, maybe let's say it's a small to medium company, so they don't have a massive customer service. They can easily change how they're handling customer service. And they just say, let's start handling this on our, um, we're all about B2B. So let's say LinkedIn, mm -hmm. we'll start handling all this on our LinkedIn, LinkedIn, Facebook, either one, let's say, um, what do they need to do to do that? Like how, how do they go about implementing that? The first thing I would do, which has nothing to do with content, um, is to do an audit. Whether you're B2C, B2B, whatever your company is, go look at your social channels, look at the conversations that are happening there, and figure out how many of those conversations are what we call acquisition or retention, okay? Acquisition are those pre-purchase questions. Sky is coming to be squared on Twitter in the buying moment, and he's saying, hey, Brooke, I heard you on a podcast. Um, do you also provide content marketing services? Sky is in the buying moment. He's in the consideration phase of the digital customer journey. He's considering B squared, right? That's what we would call an acquisition conversation. It means that if we can provide a valuable answer to Sky and a reason hopefully to buy with some urgency sooner rather than later, he would become a client. Right? right? So the first thing I want you to do is go look at for those conversations and then look for the retention conversations. Those are easy to understand, right? Sky already purchased and mm -hmm. he's coming to me for support. Like I bought your printer and the ink 
is completely dry. It's not printing. There's no ink. So the Help. first one is kind of like a, uh, I mean, that's like a form fill on your site where sales would be like, give me that now. How can I get those immediately? Um, you know, somebody's coming asking a buying question on social. And right. then, yeah, the second one is more uh, customer service account manager type of a type of a lead still. Sure. They yeah. want something. But I want, I want you to understand this, you, the listener, customer care is deceiving because the name has customer in it. So we automatically think of customer care as serving our customers, people who are already customers of the brand. That is not true. Social media customer care deals with both pre-purchase and post-purchase customer care. So it's also those leads and those pre-purchase conversations that are happening that you can close through good customer care on social and then attribute revenue dollars to your organic social media efforts, which we all know we need desperately so that the C-suite will start to take social media seriously. Well, show revenue dollars and then they're just like, oh. How much more money do you, Yeah. Why, why are we not giving them more money? They're, they're giving us money. Yeah. Yes. We show an ROI content more money mm. and not these things, which lead to actual revenue dollars. I know content can as well, but like, this is a direct, this is a little more direct and a little more of like what I would call like a hard return on investment than, than maybe a piece of content getting you somewhere. Businesses typically give more budget to whoever shows they're producing an ROI. Yes. That's it. So yeah. yeah. If you have a way of showing that you're producing an ROI, then and you say, and here's what I need to do better, that's a usually a pretty easy budget conversation to have. Right? Yeah. I mean, so that so that was a long step number one. Do that audit. But then you then you know what you're working with, right? Because the, the thing, the reason why I tell you to do this is when we ask our clients, our our customer care clients, like, hey, how much of the social chatter do you think is acquisition versus retention? And across the board, they were like, oh, pff, nobody's coming to us to make buying decisions on social media. It's probably you know all retention. So we went and we did an audit of all of their conversations on their social channels, and every single one of our clients had at least. 20% acquisition chatter happening on their social pages. That's 20% of a conversation that's right there coming to you, right? We're not, we haven't even gotten proactive yet. We're still reactive. These people are coming to us and they're asking us to sell them our stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so do it. <laughs> yeah. That has to be shocking for them to see. You're like, Ooh, it, it I was. can't wait to show you. <laughs> it was. And, you know, taking it a step further, one of our tech clients on four of their product lines had over 60% acquisition month over month. So what do we do? We started working with their sales team because what they started to see were these frequently asked questions for these product lines that never had been addressed, that never had content created to address those, those questions. So now we're working with the sales team to create better content for these frequently asked questions that are coming through on these certain product lines. That's one way, right? This leads to content. So you gave two things. You gave kind of the leads, the inbound um, stuff, the customer questions, existing customers. What about complaints coming into your social where people say, yes. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to customer support. I'm just going to write on social. These people suck and this sucked and this was terrible or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, Unfortunately, I'm sure as you know, <laughs> if you've been using any kind of social media over the past two to three years, things have gotten worse. People have gotten uh, less happy, less, uh, 
less decorum is being used oh, on so these messages. Quick question on that. Is there a social platform to stay away from for this, like Twitter? Are people the no, worst you know on what? Twitter and you should stay away or is it? You got to meet Universal. the customer where they are. If you find that, yes, Twitter is very volatile. So is Facebook, though. I mean, but but if you find that the majority of your 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 acquisition and retention chatter is happening on Twitter, guess what? Guess where you have to put most of your you time be, and yeah. attention on Twitter. Right? Maybe uh, Yahoo comments. Just don't do <laughs> don't do it there. Everywhere else yeah. is good. Yeah. Oh man. Um, Sorry, no. Now I like had a scroll uh, moment. What was your question um, again? <laughs> oh, the complaints when people are oh, coming complaints. in with complaints yeah, yeah, yeah. on. Yeah. Here's my thing about complaints. I know as marketers, we are trained to want to show our stakeholders all of the positive things. We grew by three hundred percent. This piece of content was downloaded six hundred times. We got this many form fills, and that's wonderful. But if everything's perfect all the time, right? There's nowhere to improve. And if there's nowhere to improve, and especially in times like these, when marketing is always the first to go and things go south with, you know, the economic crisis or times, um, you don't have a job. So I want you to look at <laughs> negative feedback as a superpower. Embrace that. And don't just figure out like, how can we answer this publicly and like get the applause and the, and the, and the well done's, you know, claps on the back for giving a stellar response, I want you to think about how you can actually fix whatever that problem point is. You know, we had a jewelry client and it was constantly getting um, negative chatter about the clasps on their necklace. And it, we had so much negative chatter about it. I finally said to them, you've got to do something about the clasps. Maybe this you should will, fix the clasps. This clasp, will literally yeah. sink your business, right? Did they say, it was their first response something like, if the clasp isn't working, you're not using it right. They gave the like the Steve yeah, Jobs tried to Apple like, response. Try this, yeah. Do this. You know, mm -hmm. we can give those workarounds all day long. And that's great, you know, for the for the one to many situation that we're in on social. But people are watching. And if everybody who's coming to those pages has something to say about the clasp, I'm probably as a new buyer, like somebody who's thinking in that consideration stage, thinking, but like, you know what? There's a lot of people talking about these clasps. I don't think I'm comfortable buying a necklace because I don't want it to fall off. That's you know? a review. I, I bought a necklace for my wife just recently. And when I'm looking at these different couple different options, when I see somebody make a comment on one of them about something like the clasp, I think one of them was like, oh, it disconnected. You know, if I see more than one comment saying something like, yeah, it disconnected from the clasp. I'm like, oh, that's a problem. That's not just one person saying this. Two people said it. I'm done. That's enough. Moving on. Yeah. And that's my point. You know, it's not enough to have that conversation to create that helpful nurture content that goes along with it. You have to, as a business owner or the product team or whomever it is, make the change. I, I call them potholes in the path to purchase, right? We need to make the path to purchase shorter and easier. And if you're going down the road and there's a million little potholes happening, we can't just be like, oh, here's a little quick fix for the pothole. We have to fix the road. Eventually, just we tell have people to steer around it or you just tell people there's no potholes. We don't know what you're talking oh, about. <laughs> I can't stand when brands do that. Yeah. So if we actually, which this client did, thankfully, they went to a different manufacturer, got different class for their necklaces and solved the actual problem. And we've had this happen actually with several of our, our customer care clients. Once you fix that pothole, the conversation goes away. And for the people looking inside, hopefully they don't see that negative conversation, right? 
we, 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 we definitely want positive conversation. I'm not saying to focus on the negative, like, oh, it's great when there's a less negative, but it is great when they can, when you can pinpoint what that pothole is and fix it. And address, because nobody believes your city has no potholes, but when they see, oh, there was a pothole and then they see, and it was fixed. Yes. Now you, now you actually feel like you can trust those people. You're like, oh, they're not just saying this doesn't exist. They're not just saying, we don't know what you're talking about. They're saying, yep, that happens. It happened and we fixed it. Yes. There's a great example I use in the book of this. It's from a beauty brand. They're not a client of ours, but they're called Bloom, B-L-U-M-E. And essentially they have this like anti, I'm, I'm getting old. So I'm looking at all this anti-aging stuff, which is how I stumbled across this, but they have this anti-aging serum that used to come in with a dropper. That's how you apply the serum. They changed it to a pump and people were pissed. <laughs> They had all of this negative chatter, like serums should not be applied with a pump. You should know better. They need to be applied with a dropper. And you would think like, oh no, here's the workaround. Well, we went with the pump because manufacturing, or we went with the pump because well, whatever the story was, right? We've all seen brands come up with the reason why. But what they did instead was they changed back to the dropper and then took all of the positive you know, user generated content of people being like, oh my God, you brought, I can't believe you listened to what we were saying and then did the thing. Like no one does this. Right. And they made all of these posts highlighting users talking about the fact that they saw the pothole and they fixed it. And now all these people are clamoring about how amazing their brand is. So this comes to my favorite uh, PR debacle. I've talked about it a handful of times and the opportunity to have had a great PR moment. Um, and this is going to kind of switch over to the accountability side where I would say, and we'll get back to content more, but my thoughts on the accountability of this, you're like, what does this have to do with accountability? When you put your customer service out in public, now the company has to be more responsive. When you have a problem with the class, you've got to fix the class. You can't just keep telling people, making excuses to people. That piles up and everybody can see it. You're basically giving yourself a God that you know is watching you all the time and you are accountable to instead of being able to hide in the darkness and keep telling each individual person, no, no, you're the only one this never happens. You're the only one this never happens. You're the only one this never happens. Um, or just ignoring each individual person. They're thinking they're the only one where there's no point in trying. So putting it out in the light, suddenly everybody knows that they have to perform and that they're being watched and they start acting like it. So my favorite opportunity lost is a couple of years ago, I believe it was American Airlines and the whole incident with dragging the guy off the flight. Yes. And I don't care about whether he was right or wrong or they were. My angle on this, the part that I focus on is the the PR and the marketing of it and how negative it was for them and the lost opportunity because I believe that all happened because the person making the decision for what to do was not given the power. And this is in a public space. So it, it was very public and it should have been able to do different, but they weren't given the power to solve the solution or to solve the problem in a better way. 
They were just told, mm-hmm. here's what you have to do. Now you call security and you just pick somebody and they get pick somebody who doesn't look like they're going to be a problem. Probably like you want to look mean if they're getting ready to take somebody off a flight. You look like the you got to puff up and look really mean and angry <laughs> yeah. and stuff. And they're like, don't yeah. pick that guy. We're, I know we're picking at random, but we're picking at random somebody who looks docile and will yeah. just probably get up and leave and not not cause a, a, a stink. That's the random picking we're doing mm-hmm. anyway. Um, so I feel if the person making that decision on the flight, the, the flight attendant, whoever it was managing the flight that made that decision, had been given the authority to do what airlines have started doing now, which is awesome. But if they'd done it then, it would have been a lot bigger deal. And just auction off leaving that flight. You know, not say we're going to give you $10 for food and, you know, you can get on the next flight or whatever they they used to give. But now... People are getting thousands of dollars to give up their seat. Ten like, thousand hey, dollars, yeah. We made a mistake. We overbooked. So, and suddenly you're getting on every late night show instead of being made fun of as the worst airline out there. They're like, oh my god, look what this airline did. They overbooked. They made a mistake. So you take a flight where somebody gets off, the other person gets on, and and everything's fine. You lose nothing. You gain nothing. Or you could turn this into a multi-million dollar PR win and attention for your company just by the customer service being handled as if people were watching, which people were <laughs> because people it was were. public. <laughs> yeah, there were videos, all kinds of stuff. And you, if that person had the ability to say, how can I better um, solve this? Do I have a budget to solve this? I mean, auctioning off a seat becomes a thing of interest then. And then they could have owned that as an airline. Oh, we're the airline that if we mess up, somebody's going to win. You're going to win big. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're not just going to get a stupid little $20 meal voucher and put on a later flight. You could get enough to pay for your flight, your family's flights, and vacation somewhere for five days. I mean, yeah. That's and once you a start auctioning it off, you find out what the value is too. It's the, yes. the customer feedback that you get mm-hmm. for your product. You know then, here's how much it costs when we overbook a site. Because on average, when we auction it off, sure, we gave one away for 10000 But when we start, we have a little fun thing at the beginning of the flight. We're auctioning off a seat. Who wants to get up? Starting at $200. And, well, you, and imagine you find out what they, it's worth. Imagine if they went there. Imagine if they were like, look, this is a little dirty little secret of the airlines that really all of you have known for a long mm-hmm. time. We're not going to hide behind the secret anymore. We overbooked. We have been overbooking. All airlines do it as a way to like hedge our bets. However, moving forward, we're going to introduce programs such and such, which means that if we do this dirty little secret, we're going to be out and open with it and you are going to win by XYZ. Yeah. I mean, ding, 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 how ding. Airline lottery. Is that right? You've all, all of a sudden redeemed yourself and you don't worry about booking with that airline because you know that even if they do overbook, you could win the lottery essentially. Well, then also the customer feedback aspect of this whole thing, when you're starting to get that feedback, when they auction that off and find out how much people are willing, now they can tweak their overbooking algorithm to say, oh, we can actually overbook a little bit more because we're leaving money on the table or we need to overbook a little bit less because it's cost. Right. And they can fine tune that. They just basically create a market for the seats where you can figure out what's the optimal amount to overbook. Um, yeah. And you get great. So I think this is kind of a microcosm of this whole concept you have. You get this great content out of it. That's stuff that they get to put on their social. Every time they auction off a seat on a site, that's going on their social media. 
boom, yeah. here's the site seats we auctioned off today and how much people got for them. Um, that's just content. I mean, the marketers would have to be thrilled about that saying, you're just going to hand me all this really cool content to put on. People are going to want to come and see how much money you gave away for overbooking today. It'd be interesting um, to see like what the lift in bookings with that airline would be if you know, <laughs> even if they ran it in like one city or something so that they could really understand lift overall. But yeah, I think you're hitting an important point, which is voice of customer data, right? This is why we say think conversation, not campaign, because I want to explain something to everybody listening. And then I hope you go and explain it to 10 more people. We are not starved for content. We are starved for connection. There are a million and one pieces of content out there that you're going to create as a brand that someone else has already created. You could win with a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of SEO, some really fantastic writers, all those things. Where you can win very easily with a lot less of all of those things is in the conversations that you could be having on your social media pages. And when you ask for those opinions and feelings of your would-be customers and your current customers and your community, if you have one of those, you can collect that voice of customer data, just like you're saying, Sky, and do amazing things with it. We're taking the guessing game that marketers play constantly, like, oh, like, oh we're going to go with our gut on this one. No. Stop going with your gut and start using voice of customer data to make those decisions. How do you get voice of customer data? Start having conversations that connect. It's not that hard. So you already have some customer feedback on your social channels, just in that they're, but maybe it's one way they're putting stuff there and somebody is only authorized to give generic responses. Uh, oh, sorry. You felt that way. We'll see what we can do or something. <laughs> Which is not empathy, by the way, that's sympathy yeah. and that's not what we want. And then, <laughs> yeah. We're not saying we apologize for getting that wrong. We're saying we're sorry you felt that way about you, what yeah, happened. Yeah, that's not an apology. <laughs> it's not even an apology, but that's what they're authorized to say by legal. Um, yes. When yes. legal writes the script for your customer service, don't even try to use it for marketing. I'm sorry, but yeah. uh, that's going to backfire. Um, so you're already getting people coming and giving feedback there, but you're saying by pushing all your customer service to social, encouraging it to go on social, I mean, are you going, are you putting, when you say like contact customer service on the site or something, do you just put the social profiles like, boom, here's where you go to, to ask us questions? No, I mean, the clients we work with still have those traditional options of the call center or email, but what we're finding is people are, are not using them as much. In the book, I actually say that my hypothesis is that by 2024, social media will outrank email as the number one choice of channel for customer support. Right now, email does rank number one, but social media is number two. I think that's going to flip-flop because again, the reason why people go to social, well, I'll ask you because I know you know the answer. Why do you think people go to social versus using email? I think they want everyone else to see it. It's the accountability aspect you want. You're saying it's almost like you're posting a, it's a question and a threat at the same time if it's customer service. It's like, okay, yeah. I could go ask a rep who's going to claim they don't have any previous notes on me, this question, or I could post it on social. And I think the read between the lines is if I don't get a satisfactory answer, the next post is going to be a really negative post about you guys for everyone else to see. Yeah, um, I think it's seems a bit like that piece for, for sure. We're, we're also, we're U.S. consumers. I say U.S. because we're in the U.S., right? I can't speak for anybody, but I think this is probably true globally. As consumers, we're also kind of a really large community. 
when I buy something from a brand and I have a bad experience, I don't want my friend Sky to go have that same experience. I don't want anybody to have that bad experience, right? Sometimes we have such horrible experiences that we wouldn't wish it on our worst enemy. So by posting it online, we're kind of giving that warning to our community of consumers about this brand. And I, and I think the second reason, you know, they probably are interchangeable. Maybe this one, this next thing I'm gonna say, it might be the number one reason, we'll see. But I think the second reason is consumers assume that social media is pretty much immediate. On that email, if you send it at Friday night at 7 p.m., you're not looking for an answer until Monday, but you're probably not going to get one until Tuesday or Wednesday because they've got to catch up from all of those emails over the weekend, right? Right. On social, we expect brands to respond pretty quickly. The expectation is really, there's a few conflicting reports, but really it's like 30 minutes or less at this point. It's like a live chat that everyone can see. Right. So you get the best of all all worlds there. Um, So... You're doing this stuff on social. It dawned on me. I mean, you said people use email most. I'm sure they used phone the most before there was email. And before phone, they used letter writing the most. <laughs> I, I, yeah. yeah. Carried yeah. pigeons eventually at one point yeah. were probably the most. And Walk down to the general yeah. store. <laughs> but what they use the most in the past seems to have been what was available to them or what was just available to them because you know email didn't exist yet, that kind of thing. Social didn't exist right. yet. Once you have social, I guess if, if companies start putting them all out there on an equal level, like here's the ways you can, then you'll find out what people really want to use. And I would assume yeah. social is what people would go to and that it's only behind now because it's not given as an option. Well, like if your customer base is like, let's say boomers, right? You're you probably... We're going to go do this audit. Hopefully you're going to go do the audit. And you're not going to see that a lot of boomers are reaching out to you. They're probably calling or maybe using email, you know? So I think it's important to do that test though. Audit your channels first of all. And then second of all, like you said, I think that's a great idea. You know, kind of place them equally on your customer support page and let the customer tell you. Again, voice of customer data. Let that tell you where to put your time, money, and energy because eventually you'll understand that for you it's email or for you it's phone or for you it's social. And then you know where to put your time and budget. So let's jump into the content a little more here to get people like we've talked about kind of how this would work. People get the general idea, I'm sure. It's almost so simple that you're like, Okay, but what else? Wait, what? <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. Like, okay, what do they need to actually do? Like replace a link here with a link there? How does this work? Um, it, it's it's too simple. So you go in, you audit, meaning you just look at what kind of things are people posting on the page, categorize them to see. Um, then you're going to assign somebody to monitor this stuff. And it seems like that's where stuff could really go wrong. And that gets back to my American Airlines, and I'm probably just going to list a different airline every time. I can't remember which one it was. But anyway, the snafu there is what kind of uh, training does a social media customer service person need? Because if that person, you know, you on one hand, you could say, here's your script, and then here's what legal has approved for you to give as responses. On the other hand, you could say, hey, just make sure the problem's solved, man. Do whatever you need to do. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, how should they manage the training for these people? Because that's kind of scary for a lot of companies. Like, something could go wrong. 
It is scary. It is totally scary. A, I wrote this book because it's scary. And in part two of the book, I give like the tactical, practical, like here's who you need to hire. Here's how I would set up the team, you know, all those things. We also have a, a training that we offer where we go in and, and do this training for social media people. And then obviously we can do it for people. So I, I have this down pat. And what I have found is that Again, there's a mismatch, right? Because what some of our actual clients tried to do was they tried to put their call center employees onto social and, you know, saying it in the nicest way I can, usually the call center employees are the lowest educated and the lowest paid. And when we talk about social media, unfortunately, we're talking about writing, which includes grammar, spelling. There's digital body language and tone and voice that has to come into play. So we're talking about a highly skilled person. We're not talking about the lowest level employee or your intern. So right? everything we're else, pretty highly skilled. Everything else we've gone over. I mean, maybe it's a bias for me, but I feel like if I was to pick people to go on there, I'd want junior marketing people. As long as they had the skill set to do this, and and you kind of talked about it earlier, the documentation is so important to what these people do. So having those documented frequently asked questions, having the documented answers from legal, but also saying to legal, hi, this is legal jargon. No one's going to like this. How about we give you these five options that sound more human and humanize the brand, but still get your legalese across, right? And then have legal approve that. So don't just go with what legal hands you, because as you pointed out, Sky, that could get you in a world of trouble on its own, right? And then you have to document your triage, right? So triage means as those conversations come in, can I, that frontline person, handle this? That's a green, right? We, we do the stoplight system really easy, green, yellow, red. That's a green. If we get a frequently asked question that has never been asked, that's usually a yellow because what that means is I can't answer that. I've never gotten that question before. I'm going to have to go through my, you know, call tree or email tree through the appropriate processes to figure out how to get this question answered, right? And then hopefully we can then turn that yellow into a green and add it to our FAQ documentation. Then there's reds. This is something that the frontline will never be able to handle. You're a financial institution and someone needs to get into their account and they need to change their password or they want their account balance. I'm not going to be able to handle that for privacy right. reasons. Well, I they think the feedback refund. on that should be, hey, bro, you shouldn't be asking on Facebook to have yeah. us reset your password. Also, <laughs> That's a more official yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Helpful hint. No. Um, and then, or what if you just, you know, you bought those shoes and you want to return them for a different size. The frontline person still can't handle that, right? So you need to know how are we going to build out the processes for getting this done and getting this to the appropriate person and doing it quickly. Because right. again, people are looking for that quickness on social. If it is an acquisitions question, it's a sales question, you need to be aligned with the sales team and have their answers for those FAQs that are acquisition-based so that you can then answer those questions and then route them to the appropriate person if you can't close the deal. You know and that, that doesn't change from the phone, though. When they were on the phone and somebody wants to return a pair of shoes, the person isn't like, great, hand me the shoes and I'll get you. What do you want? Like, you're sorry, you're not in the store. So right. it still has to be handed off exactly. It seems like most of those things are already set up if you have customer service set up. Yeah. So all the things that the social couldn't handle, 
you already have a path to handle those. They're, yes. they're able to get handled, but you want to figure out like, what's the quickest time to resolution, right? Cause there's time to response, meaning how quickly does that frontline respond to that question or comment, right? But then there's time to resolution. How long did it take us to solve the problem? And that includes not only ours reaching out, but if we have to pat, like say somebody's refrigerator is broken and we have to pass that to the customer service team who then has to schedule the person to go out to their home, right? And we're talking 14, 17, 32 days for time to resolution. Again, these are those potholes that we need to start to look at because we start to, what happens on social is you start to see what we call re-escalations. So people come back through on social and they say, hey, you scheduled a, a repair guy to come out. It's been 30 days. What the heck? And since it's on social, they can't say, don't know what you're talking about. There's no history of you ever calling right. us before. Right. <laughs> like, that's on social. So yeah, and you I don't know. Your, your example of a refrigerator, if somebody comes to you on Facebook with a question about whether the refrigerator is running or not, that's a setup though. Don't answer that one. That could be a troll, but we also, we do actually do customer care for a global appliance brand and people come to social all the time to complain about like, you know, their oven broke or their fridge broke or whatever it is. I mean, that's just yeah. what, that's just what the consumer does. So they so. get real calls from people saying my refrigerator's not running. Uh, they have Remember to be that? like, wait I think, a second. I think when I was in sixth grade, I might've yeah. actually called someone and asked if their refrigerator was running. <laughs> uh. I want to see the refrigerator repairman that actually makes those calls and then says, oops, Ugh. no, that was a real, oops, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize what I, that I was doing oh, that's a prank a funny, call that, here. See, now that's a funny piece of content that brand could create, but yeah. I don't know that you would want to make light of your repair unless you had a quick timed resolution. If you're on like that 30 plus day of timed resolution, don't make that joke because then you're inviting yourself to more negative chatter. <laughs> well, also this method highlights that if you have that problem. Again, it yes. puts it out, the accountability, it puts it out there so that you're like, oh, if we don't actually make this work right, then people are gonna, I guess we better make it work right. Uh, so if you're a crappy company that does evil things and doesn't want anybody to know, you could. I'm sorry you had to listen this far into the podcast. We should have let you know at the beginning. This Shoot, episode is not for put, you. Maybe you could yeah. just put a disclaimer in the intro. Like, hey, if you're a yeah. crappy brand who doesn't care about your customers, don't listen. <laughs> we, we'll probably put that as the description. Yes. <laughs> that'll, that'll but be honestly, the crappy companies already have a social presence. Like if hmm. they didn't want people to know that they were crappy, they should have never gotten on social media. That ship okay. has sailed, right? So you know what? If you're a crappy company and evil or all of the above, and you did listen to this far, fall, this far, I hope you didn't stop listening because now you just got some advice. Delete your social; it's hurting you. Yeah. Well, honestly, we're finding you, out your garbage. To be crappy and non-caring, <laughs> it is only going to continue to hurt mm. you. That's that's my yeah. that's my opinion. <laughs> so even for those companies, we've had some useful info here. Okay, so content we scratched the surface. I think the listeners are kind of getting like, oh, okay, you know, we can get. FAQ content from this, but what about like the actual interactions being used? I, I feel like marketing would then want to go and look at these conversations and use them as customer-driven campaigns. So you'll have testimonials buried in there. You'll have all these, and marketing could even go to some of these people probably and ask them for it to, oh, you had this experience, but being able to put together, hey, one of our customers had this problem and here's what we did, boom. Like that's a marketing campaign. That's content right there. It's a social media post. It's an email. It's a whatever you want for marketing. It just seems like a treasure trove for marketing to have this client interaction based content. 
it, it's it's just what you said earlier. I mean, I hate to like do it, you know, make it sound like it's not important. It is important, right? There's there's not a correlation here between being it being easy and it being important. It is easy. It is also important, yeah. right? Um, I just think so many brands don't do it because even though it's easy, it feels vulnerable. It feels like you're opening yourself up to a risky, vulnerable place if you're sharing brand opinions and feelings or if you're asking for opinions and feelings about your brand. But we have to remember that relationships are built on vulnerability. The only way we get to trust and loyalty in the real world, which also, by the way, is how brands should do it online, is through opening yourself up and being vulnerable, right? So if we expect trust and loyalty as brands, we must also then expect to be vulnerable. And for some reason, we've left that out of the equation. I feel like this also humanizes the brand. Because you're going to make mistakes. And again, as long as you don't try to cover them up and go like full Richard Nixon every time, uh, you know, you have a, okay, you have a social person that drops an F-bomb in one of the responses because they're having a bad day and uh, something's got to happen. That could happen, you know, but what are you going to do as a company? come in and be like, hey, Brooke here, you know, speaking on behalf of Mm -hmm. Beast Media, I am so sorry for Sky's F-bomb. He's had a bad day. We just sent him home with a... Mm. um, a heating pad and a big, you know, bottle of water and told him to take the rest of the day off. And then you could say, by the way, you were totally inappropriate with him. So F off. (laughs) See, (laughs) I used an apostrophe. I did not drop the whole F bomb. But I mean, Uh, imagine though, if somebody came along and said that, and instead of like bashing sky, which a lot of brands are quick to do like, Oh, that was the intern. Forgive us. He's been fired and buried. Yeah. Guy was having a mental health day and he didn't actually ask for the mental health day and we realized he needed it. So we sent him home to enjoy the rest of his mental health day. <laughs> Look, I also like if um, the customer was being abusive and maybe the customer support person was having a bad day and they went, you know, they got frustrated and did something they should have. Doesn't mean they needed to lose their job. They were having a bad day and it wasn't for no reason. It wasn't because they had hate in their soul. This customer was being a total asshole. Uh, you have yeah. this thing recently. Uh, James Corden got kicked out of a restaurant because yes, he was yes. being a jerk. The, I saw look, that. the person didn't like fire his wait staff for not serving him properly. No, they kicked the guy out, and then he went on social media and and did this. You know, he used it for cust- reverse customer service here, saying, "Hey, this guy's no longer welcome because he's a total prick." It, yeah. it wasn't. You know, he said bad things about him, and I'm like. If the customers are being abusive on your social media, I would say, and one of your people pushes back too hard, okay. But the response shouldn't be, you were totally right and this person was totally wrong. It should be like, hey, no, you're being an asshole. And so he went over the line. And now I'm going to have to go home on a vacation day too for having to deal with you because I'm being an asshole back. Now stop abusing our people. Here's the solution to your problem. You're an idiot. Stop being a jerk. It's like you have the ability to be very human. Yes. Another part of that documentation, have a troll policy, right? Have Mm. a policy that has like, if this, then that, because it's not always blocking, banning, hiding, deleting, right? It could be a paying customer. It could be one of your best customers who's having a bad day and is a total jerk online. And what do you do then? Do you ban, block, delete, hide your best paying customer? Or do you try to work it off, take it offline and, and work it out, right? So, I mean, having a troll policy is, I think, also critical to that documentation because it's not if you encounter a troll, unfortunately, on social media, it's when. Yeah. Oh, good point. And it could just be like you're saying a troll that's a customer. You could it also could just be a get customer. random troll. It could troll. be someone who's never purchased from you, never going to purchase from you. They're just being an, a jerk, you know? 
Yep. So knowing how to handle those, fantastic. And and again, not just firing every employee that uses an inappropriate word or isn't following the legal documentation, but uh, you have those kind of problems being human as a company and being it in public like that. I mean, every company wants to be seen as not just a corporation. Right. This just seems like a great way to do that, to, to publicly put out how human you are, to make mistakes, have flaws, fix things, and be a good company. And it, again, the marketing content, then you just say, hey, marketing, go look at our social. Yeah, we want you posting on social, but also get your content from there. We have it now as this treasure trove of customer interaction. If you put customer care in the middle of your digital flywheel or conversations even in the middle of your digital flywheel as they you know happen on social, it will make everything so easy. Sales, easier. We just talked about all this acquisition stuff that happened. Retention, easier. We just talked about, you know, fixing the potholes for those customers. Content, easier. You know, finding user-generated content, easier. Everything becomes easier when you put this at the center of everything you do. But as you've kind of alluded to, you have to mean it. You can't fake it till you make it with CX and customer care. You just can't. Not, not, not out in public. <laughs> nope. Um, I love the troll policy. So for listeners, you need a piece of content that comes directly from this. Okay, post your troll policy. Here's our mm -hmm. troll policy. Hey, trolls, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> so don't be surprised when this happens, whether you're a customer or just a random person looking to annoy somebody. Here's what's going to happen if you push our buttons. Don't be surprised. That's, yeah, I feel like and, that's a good your post. Team. Your team feels comfortable knowing that they understand what the policy is because a lot of times when somebody comes through and like, you know, posts something like hate speech, everybody's like, oh my God, what do we do? If you already have it written out, everybody knows what to do. They can remain calm, even though what they've seen or read might have been absolutely terrible. You know, they have a process for dealing with it. And knowing how far they can go. I, I mean, you can. I'm not like a, a, a super straight laced, staunchy type of a business person. Um, if anybody's seeing the video on this, I have, I have a mohawk. And one of the questions I didn't ask at the beginning of the show was, should I put on a hat? Is this distracting if anybody sees me? Because yeah. it's just uh, my hair looks weird. So I, one, I have a mohawk. Yes. But also I don't dress it up or do anything. I just roll out of bed. So it's like a homeless man's mohawk. It's not like glued up straight and colored and glittered or anything like that. It's just a weird puff of hair in the middle of my head. I vote um, glitter, honestly. You said glitter and I was immediately there with you. I think glitter. I feel like the people who are uh, spending 30 minutes on their punk hairstyle, one, that's not very punk. It's not punk. Uh, <laughs> To, yeah. to spend six hours like getting your just getting all of your clothes pins and all that stuff that are on your just right before you go out every day um but uh i just feel like glitter is one of the things they would put in their hair also i don't know just seem that belongs I in the mohawk once you spend that much time <laughs> <laughs> oh no we're gonna say we're gonna derail the podcast yes. here I, so me and you can't get along i hate glitter it's the worst i have two daughters glitter never goes away it no gets ever yeah some evil relative gave one of them years ago this box with like 50 vials of glitter and by vial i mean like miniature jars and it's never seen the light of day i don't think that, that they were like yay glitter and i was like that's getting hidden forever there's no way that's getting open in the house a bunch of jars of glitter anyway so i 
getting back, I believe in having some attitude and I would love it if when people implement this kind of thing, they give their customer service people some leeway to have their own personality and attitude. And, you know, and Hey, if, if somebody, you know, not again, not use the legal speak. So know what, what's too far, what's pushing too far in response to somebody, but being able to, to have humor, being able to push back a little bit, sometimes that kind of stuff, the more companies can allow their employees to do that. I, I feel like the better when it comes to using this, social as content itself because when you're having that human style dialogue in the the person actually the opposite of the customer service person with the script oh this this is actually a human with a personality um if you don't let that come through at all then again you get you just get legal in your customer service and it's not going to create very good marketing content it's not no. going to be interesting um no. so so try to let them have a little bit of personality in their interactions no, I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. Put, sprinkle some glitter on it and we're done. <laughs> <laughs> sprinkle some glitter on it. That's what that is. Yeah, I'm not talking about like getting uh, obscene and in their face, but yeah, sprinkle some glitter on it, you know, have your own yeah. personality there. And, and then probably the companies have a little bit of like, hey, here's the company personality and here's where the parameters we want you to stay within-ish. Yeah. Um, yes. But when you limit them too much, they end up being forced to say, this is my job. I have to follow these guidelines. And you end up dragging somebody off a plane instead yeah. of auctioning off a seat because you let them solve the problem in the way they see best fit. Yeah, um, you really have to empower those frontline social media you know, care agents, whatever you want to call them. Um, they need to be empowered. They need to have authority. They need to be able to get the job done. You know, you can't just again, like you're saying, have them like repost, copy and paste comments because I've seen brands get in trouble for that as well. When you copy and paste that same language over and over again as a way to say sorry, it, it does not go well. In fact, it gets ugly real fast. And, the, and I feel like we're going to be a three-parter for this episode. We've already gone over, but we're going to push through. We, we can finish. Look, there's a book. Um, there's, there's Brooke and her whole company that can uh, that can help out with this stuff. I think you said you actually have a training course for this specifically. You manage it and yeah. you can train people to do it. We literally, from the book, created a training course. We're actually going to Chicago in November to uh, do our second one. But it's where we come in and we train your team how to do all of these things that we're talking about. We help you with the documentation. We help you understand you know, what's appropriate here, what's not appropriate there. And then we leave you with an action plan so that we can check in with you to make sure that all of the things that we covered in this training are actually getting implemented and done in the in the right way. Nice. Okay. So, um, so there are, we don't have to, this podcast is not a complete training on how to do this. I guess is what I'm saying. You can go to Brooke. The book covers a lot more. There's a lot of other venues. Hey, you're going to, you're flying somewhere else to train. You got to name this and own it, Brooke. You invented it. <laughs> this is yours. The, <laughs> Thank the, you. the person who owns, um, um, SDR sales development reps. And it's like, yes, we invented this concept. They didn't invent it. People were doing it before them. They just codified yeah, this is it. True. This when is you true. codify it, then you own it. Codify it, own it. It's yours. Oh boy. Um. <laughs> anyway, uh, customer service reps. It seems like it's not job people look forward to. 
And if you give them, here's the legalese you have to copy and paste every time, they're going to hate their job even more. And then your interactions, again, are going to go towards dragging people off a plane, not towards auctioning off a seat. If you empower them a little bit, and then this probably needs to be heavily monitored, like another person is seeing everything that's going on and they yeah. know exactly what happens yes. if they go too far. But if you empower them a little bit, I feel, to actually enjoy their job because they can have human interactions and they can act like a human and have their own personality, you're not going to have employees that hate your company. How are the employees that hate your company and hate their job supposed to handle the problems of customers that are having a problem with your company? Like We've if, seen that play out on social when yeah. brands go rogue. It's an unhappy employee who has given up. Yeah. So giving you know? these people a little more autonomy. Um, to be themselves, to have some personality, to put some glitter on it, um, you know, allow them to enjoy their job and enjoy their life. And then not for them, don't do it for them. You know, maybe you're the type of person who does is good and you do it for them. Great. But for your company, you're going to get better results when your customer service don't hate you. Uh, like you're getting the customer that's has a problem with you and the customer service both hate you. They're on the same team against yeah. you. That is not what you want. Well, yeah, you're in trouble at that point. <laughs> yes. Okay, great. So again, we've covered too much here already. We've gone too long. I want to make sure we get some of this other stuff. Brooke, we've all already mentioned your company. You guys train on this. You also handle it for people so they can come to you for that. Um, our show notes are going to have all the information on how to contact you and everything, but what else um, about your company and you do, do the listeners need to know? I think you said it earlier, you know, our mantra truly is think conversation, not campaign. And I think, you know, if you are a brand or a company who truly wants to put the customer at the center of everything you do, you want to think conversation, not campaign. Let's talk. I mean, even if it's a, it's, if, even if it's a Twitter conversation, let's have that conversation that connects. Because, like I said, we're still early in this game. I think a lot of brands are just now kind of getting on board with what this means and what it can do for the company. And a lot of conversation and education is still needed. So I'm happy to continue that conversation with you wherever it can be. Find me on socials. Start the conversation. Hook up with me on LinkedIn. Like, I'm happy to chat about this anytime, anywhere, any place. <laughs> so if you really want to test, Brooke, and her company and capability for this, go on to social media and and say something negative about her services <laughs> no, <laughs> and see how she responds to it. Don't do that. Please don't yeah. do that. Um, if you do, don't attribute, wait a while. So it's not attributed to me here. And I, I don't want her <laughs> I to. I mean, we will be there to pick you up if you do, but uh, I think we'll also be like, um, hi, we know you're not a customer. What is this all about? Yeah. Brooke, it's a challenge. <laughs> These are leads. Come on. You get a hundred right, people right. coming to your Twitter saying you suck and you destroyed my company. Like, oh, <laughs> that would be the worst thing. That's just, they're just starting a conversation though. That's yeah. all. And I did say embrace the negative. <laughs> <laughs> embrace the negative. Come on. We're going to feed it to you. Just sprinkle some glitter on it and yeah, embrace sprinkle it. Some glitter on it. <laughs> See, I won't make a comment like that because I don't want any glitter sprinkled on me. Uh, that stuff never gets out. Um, so people can find you online, B Squared Media. Again, we'll have all this stuff in the show notes. Any questions about any of this? Obviously, go to Brooke. She wrote the book on it, literally, and she owns it. She's going to copyright it and trademark it and do whatever other people do to own this stuff. Um, Brooke Sellis, the inventor of whatever this is going to end up being called. Uh, 
<laughs> Where can people find you? You already mentioned LinkedIn, obviously Twitter. I see Instagram yeah. here. I don't yeah. see Facebook. Oh, I don't Facebook personally. The business mm. does. I do not. Um, so yeah, if you Google my name, Brooke Sellis, B-R-O-O-K-E, last name is S-E-L-L-A-S. I think I'm the only one on earth, at least that I found so far. So if you Google Brooke Sellis, you can find my online channels where I'm active. You can connect with me there. You can go to our website, which is bsquared.media, or you can search Amazon for conversations that connect and my name or probably just the title and the book should pop up. Oh, on our website, we do have chapter one for free. So if you're like a try it before you buy it kind of person, you could certainly run to our website and get chapter one free and then decide if it's something you want to spend a whole $17 on. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm Now I'm going to have to get the book and read it because I started the episode off by claiming I had read your book and quickly realized, oh, I have not. I have not read your book. Um, also, I have to warn you, you said you are the only Brooke Sellis out there. I think so, that I've found so far. <laughs> My company is a list company. So we have as a database of tens oh, of millions of people. So there is a query running on my screen right now, and I will be able to tell you exactly how many Brooke Sellis's we have in our Ooh, database at least. That's fascinating. And, uh, <laughs> okay, I can't wait. And let you know. <laughs> Apparently, it is a difficult query, though, because it's taking quite a while to run. So in the meantime, the only one. <laughs> if it comes back saying she's the only one, I'm going to freak out. Yes. Because <laughs> that is not a, a response the computer is supposed to be allowed to give me. I to should start win with. a prize. I think I should win a prize. <laughs> if we get a zero, yeah, you're, you're winning. Well, if we get a one and it's just you or a zero, uh, oh. you definitely get a prize. Okay. So again, check out the show notes for this episode on ifyoumarket.com. Um, see all the information on Brooke, all the links to her book, to her social media profiles, all that kind of stuff. Of course, you can always just uh, search her on LinkedIn. She will be the only one that comes up, I've heard. Um, oh, the results are in. I owe you an apology. You're the only one. Yes. <laughs> so amazing. Now, now somebody's going to go out there and search. Obviously, there's others. I know. Now, now, now <laughs> someone's like literally right this minute putting in a name change. To I found about. 16. <laughs> you lied. You lied. <laughs> okay. So check us out. Ifymarket.com. Of course, um, you can go to uh, Brooke Sellis' site, bsquaredmedia.com. B-squared dot media. Yeah. B-squared dot media. There we go. I was like, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm getting this wrong. <laughs> to see uh, her company, more on her, find them on social, find them in our, our show notes here. And on behalf of Brooke Sellis and the Ify Market team, thank you for listening to the Ify Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with customer service on social media, they will come. Are you looking for new leads who are always in need of quality contacts for your marketing campaigns? But list companies and online tools are the worst, right? Well, then you've got to check out Top Data Search by Mountaintop Data. At Mountaintop Data, we're a team of weird people that actually like getting our hands dirty with sales and marketing data, and we specialize in business contact information. We compile and maintain a database of tens of millions of targeted high-quality business decision makers with emails, phone numbers, mailing address, and all the information you need. Go to topdatasearch.com and request a free account with the promo code IYM1000, like if you market the podcast here, and get a free account with unlimited searches, no seat fees, and 1,000 free record download credits. That's topdatasearch.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.